0: Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
1: is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers. By young farmers, I'm your host, Severin. It is starting to be spring-like, and in the Northeast, very um, unusually warm, breaking many records, and of course, everywhere in the world, breaking records for being what it is, which is the time to act. It is the time for action, and this woman that we have on our show today, Lockie, is an action woman, and so I'm very happy to have after hearing about these Alabama open-source tractor people for many years, um, th- what a great pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome, Lucky.
2: Hi, Severin, and hi, everybody else that's listening today. It's great to be here. We are in northeast Alabama, and it has been pouring down rain all day long, but it's still a beautiful day.
1: It, great weather for testing tractors. Will you mind introducing uh, yourself vis-a-vis um, your amazing tractor?
2: Sure. So, like I said, my name is Lockie, and I'm with the company called Clever. We're in northeast Alabama, and so we're the makers of the Ogun tractor. So we are an open-source tractor, um, very simple, made with off-the-shelf parts, designed to be fixed in the field, with nothing more than a wrench, is what we say. So we're all about how do we bring affordable, small-scale equipment to farmers, equipment that is scale appropriate, which we haven't really seen a lot of.
1: So one of the great uh, founding, founding principles uh, of FarmHack was that so many young farmers in our community uh, were not able to buy tools that matched the agronomy that they were practicing, smaller and medium scale, CSA, many diverse crops, um, and often were either building their own electric tractors mm-hmm. or converting Alice Chalmers' older tractors to electric or um, packing around and pulling stuff out of the fence row or old barns from the 1950s. So you're... Um, you seem to have identified the same marketplace, which is the farmers like us. Right.
2: We, We got our inspiration from the Alice Chalmers G, actually, which, I mean, most people listening today probably either have a G or they know somebody that has a G. So that right there, the fact that still 50 to 60 years later, so many people are using that tractor really shows how useful it is and how durable it is. So we said, okay, let's look at the G, build something that is similar as far as its simplicity and durability, but modernize it. So we were inspired by that concept, but then used all modern parts. So we went to a fully hydraulic system and, of course, used off-the-shelf parts. So most farmers have an experience trying to find old parts and struggling to get tractors working again. and know, trying to find those proprietary parts. So by using common components that anyone can go and buy from multiple different vendors really saves a lot of headache, and it saves a lot of the wallet as well.
1: So so you're meeting so many of the great goals um, of this movement in terms of accessible technology on our terms within our budget to do the kind of farming that grows good food sovereignty. Can you talk a little bit about the inception of of this project, and, um, you know, it has a particular political history.
2: Right. So our our founders actually got started in Cuba. So we were looking at Cuba saying, you know what, there's 300,000 farmers that just were given land in Cuba, in addition to the farmers that already had land, yet there were only 60,000 tractors in the country. And most of those were at least 30 years old. They were Russian and not running very well. And so there was definitely a huge need for mechanization on the island. And so looking back at U.S. farm history and where we were in the 30s, 40s, 50s, which is kind of where Cuba is as far as very, very little mechanization, uh, we, of course, found Alice Chalmers G. We said, what a great tractor. Let's bring it back. And so we built that tractor for Cuba. And our business model came from Cuba as well um, because looking at, A tractor that we built for $10,000, which is very affordable, in Cuba, even at $10,000, there was only a certain percentage of the farmers, a very small percentage that would be able to afford that. So in order to reach the rest of those farmers, we knew we had to get that price point down even lower. So the only way to do that was local manufacturing. So we put in a proposal to the Mariel Economic Development Zone in Cuba to build a factory so that local labor could build tractors using local parts. And so eventually after about a year, the, they turned down our proposal to build in Cuba because we didn't meet their requirements. But along the way that whole year, we learned that what we built, the business model and the tractor, had global applications. And we had people coming to us in the U.S. saying, don't you realize there's a huge market here in the States? There's a huge need. And so I said, you know what? We'll open up shop in Alabama, so we started manufacturing for the U.S. market in Alabama last fall, and we've also been working to establish international distributors in other developing countries. So, we're starting to work with Peru, Ethiopia, and Australia, and are talking to several others in Africa and Latin America for them to do the same thing that we proposed in Cuba, which is build the tractors locally.
1: So you have a manufacturing plant in Alabama. Um, Do you want to talk about what what your facility is like and that region? I know that there was a lot of really incredibly talented work going on in the Upper South in terms of electrical engineering in the 40s and 50s and 60s and that that kind of slowed down. Is that part of your story? Yeah, it is. We've been very excited
2: the whole time to art manufacturing in Alabama, because that's something, as you said, that really hasn't been happening in recent years. So the fact that we can be a part of bringing a new product, innovation, to a state where a state that's not known for that is something that's really exciting for the whole concept that we're implementing, but also exciting for the local community and the jobs that we're bringing here. So we've partnered with a steel fabrication plant. They've been in business for about 20 years, um, so they are known for quality, have a great reputation in this part of the country and nationally. And so they do all of the steel work for the tractors, and then they also do all of the assembly. And so they've added a whole new division to their company and brought in some more people to be a part of that. So the facility itself can it has the capacity to do up to 10,000 tractors a year, So we're not at that yet, but we have a lot of room to grow with where we're at.
1: And so how many of these tractors have you made, and um, where are they in the world, and what do people say about them?
2: Well, we started shipping in December of last year. Our grand opening was on November 30th, and we've sold probably 30 to 40 tractors, and we keep on getting more orders every week. So by this spring, we'll have tractors from California and Oregon all the way to New York and Maine. So we've worked with farmers, people that are hobby farmers, people that are market farmers, universities, farm organizations. So uh, our whole goal is to not have a dealer network. We never want to have somebody in the middle just making money or passing something along. So our whole approach is very grassroots. And that we focus on relationships and partnerships um, to promote what we're doing, but also promote local and regional food systems as a whole. So some of the organizations that we've been working with that will have a tractor this spring, i will just kind of name a few of those across the state. So anyone that's listening, if you want to go see one of these tractors, these would be some really good central locations to see them. So we've got Stone Barn Center in New York. Uh, Cornell University, MOSCA, the Maine Organic Farmer and Gardener Association, Virginia State University, Mississippi State, Tennessee State, Tuskegee, Alabama A&M, Colorado State, ALBA in California, and Oregon State. So those are just some of the bigger organizations all across the country that will have a tractor. Um, As far as farmers out in the field using the tractor, people have been very excited about just the versatility in the tractor. I mean, being able to cultivate with something and also pull a bush hog using the same machine is is exciting.
1: Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about the specs um, and some of the implements that it is pulling?
2: Sure, so we have available a front cultivator and rear cultivator, and both of those have sweeps that are adjustable and removable. So some people even choose their own cultivating attachments to use on our toolbars. We've got a turning plow, chisel plow, a middle buster for digging up potatoes. We have a single row seed planter. We have a transplanter. We have a grading blade to use for leveling gravel or dirt. And then we also have a PTO option. So it's a 540 hydraulic PTO to pull a four or five foot bush hog, to pull a four foot tiller. Um, We're currently working on a belly finish mower that would be hydraulically driven. So those are all category one, and there's many other category one implements that are already available. A lot of farmers will already have implements that they may even be able to use on this tractor. So it's very adaptable. Uh, to many different implements
1: so um, I'm really intrigued by your role and in this as the um, one of three partners on the project and the one that just graduated from an agricultural program can you talk about what you are bringing to this work you know how your education like what drew you to this to this work and what is it like working with um, those other guys who are coming from really different backgrounds—it um, feels like a very interesting business story. It is. We—the summary is—we have a lot of fun. <laughs> we just all are really
2: passionate, enjoy what we're doing. But like you said, I graduated uh, school last year from Iowa State. I was in the agricultural business program, and so I was right in the heart of big ag uh, in Iowa in the Midwest. And. So I really got an understanding of the global food system and the positives and negatives that come along with that. And so I developed a passion for small farms and how do we make regional and local food systems just as efficient and productive as the global food systems. And so how do we still keep the diversity, uh, the agricultural diversity of the small farming systems um, and keep the profitability? So... I developed a very different passion than most of my colleagues at Iowa State, but um, from that, I found out about what these guys were doing in Cuba. There's really a lot of press out there about the Cuba story, a lot of interest, and so I reached out to them because I thought, you know what, this is a great business model. This is something that it's doing the right thing for people and can really have a huge impact uh, for agriculture across the world. So I reached out to them and joined the team. And so the other two on our team, Horace Clemens and Jeff Adams, as you mentioned, have very different backgrounds than me. Horace grew up in rural Alabama, so he grew up farming behind a mule. He went on to work for IBM and then started an international software company. So a lot of the principles of of our mentality our business model come from software and technology and Jeff Adams he he worked for um, one of the largest retailers in the world but he was on the retail side of food but we all we all came from a different angle but we all have that same passion for doing the right thing and seeing successful local food systems and so having three different people of three different generations, is a really important part of our business but it makes it a lot of fun and it means that there's a lot of mentorship involved in what we do.
1: How much does it cost and can you compare that to what else is on the market just to give our listeners a little context?
2: Yeah, our tractor is $10,000. To put it in context, a zero-turn lawnmower usually costs more than our tractor and it's a zero-turn tractor. So there's Most of the small-scale tractors out there are utility tractors. They're not really made for cultivation and field work, and they can be upwards of $20,000. So, I mean, ours ours is very affordably priced.
1: And um, what kind of feedback are you getting, or how how are you – what is the – Well, I guess coming from an open source context, the fact that you're Mm -hmm. doing everything off the shelf and that the whole design is open source seems like it would be an open invitation for users to really be in touch with you as manufacturers about changes and tweaks and improvements that you could use. And I wonder how you're going to hold that dialogue or what form that has taken so far. It just is kind of culturally interesting to me since you're one of the... First businesses that are working in an open source ag tools context, um, how that's going to go forward.
2: Since we are one of the first, it is a learning curve. Uh, so and we're constantly, you know, figuring out how we do it as we go. So I know up to this point, the changes that we've made from the very first prototype that we designed, there's been many changes, and a lot of those have come from farmers using our tractor in the field and saying, you know what, it would work a lot better if it was like this. Or I think this little tweak would really help it out. And so all along the way, we've we've used the insights from local farmers. Um, Alabama A&M University, they did a lot of the field testing for us. A lot of our vendors, they were very integrally involved in the whole process of designing the equipment. So they would come out to our facility and do the testing and let us know if they saw any problems and help solve those problems so the whole process up to this point was has definitely been um, very collaborative and so going forward I mean we, we encourage all of our customers to do whatever they want with the tractor and we don't even have a logo on the tractor we don't have our name anywhere except for the little the tiny cereal plate so we say it's your tractor it's not ours do whatever you want with it. Make it into what you want it to be, not what we made it to be. And so we're looking for the opportunities. How do we, how do we create a dialogue, and how do we get feedback from our customers and um, from farmers? But we definitely want that to be a part of this process.
1: Well, one way would be through the FarmHack community, and I wonder if um, we could get you guys a uh, your own tool page where that dialogue could happen in our forums, and it would yeah, also be we, potentially a way to have it visible to others, like, that we could be almost like a community dialogue. Yeah, and
2: we actually uh, got to come up to New York last December for the Slow Tools Conference, so we got to start to build some connections with, with some of those people, and we definitely want to keep the conversations going on, on getting some feedback.
1: It's a great idea. Um, so the so the thing that's really interesting is that you have um, coming to market with an open source tractor really like not out of an engineering school or out of an ag um, organization um, and funded by, um, my, I mean, I guess that's my next question is where does the money come from if this was going to be replicated by people who we know from the FarmHack community who have been working on, you know, root washers and electric tractors and Arduinos that do sen- you know, sensors and mm-hmm. uh, monitoring with um, spectrometry and all these other kind of projects that are happening, as they're trying to come to market, I was thinking maybe they could learn a little bit from what worked in your case.
2: Our whole company was self-funded by the founders. Um, so as far as other people, well, we see, we see a huge opportunity for other people to make money in this open system as well, especially uh, with implements. So we see the implement side and the add-on side of the tractor being local or regional because it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to ship metal across the country uh, it gets very expensive, and there's a lot of people that are super innovative and can build amazing things, as we've seen in the Farm Hack community. So we would love to see some of those projects um, be taken to local machine shops or local manufacturers, and hopefully our tractor can help those, those businesses see a greater opportunity and a greater market for some of those implements or some of those other types of small-scale equipment but we would recommend reaching out to some of the, the local manufacturers and machine shops to be
1: a part of it. Um, could the, so it sounds like find some retired business executives and partner with them would be a good strategy. Um, <laughs> could, if the design is open source, could people be conceivably build their own and order the parts and, like, build a little run of them?
2: As far as building the machine, it's a, it's a yeah, it's a very simple uh, machine, and it's definitely easy to build. We we have a provisional patent on our universal power platform, which is the basically the drivetrain and the hydraulic system of our tractor, and that patent is free and open to anyone that will, you know, license the derivative product for free as well. And really the patent is just there to protect quality as we move into international business. That's the only reason that we need it. Um, So we, we will have soon our universal power platform up for sale for people to buy, and that will provide the basis for someone to go and build any other type of machine that they wanted. We've also seen some interest in people buying the tractor without an engine and then doing an electric conversion or, putting their own engine on it that's different than ours. And so we're definitely up for making those kind of modifications with people.
1: So you guys are really early stage and you have a a reputation to protect with a new product and it's very exciting. And uh, people who are buying your product are getting a good deal and they're taking a little bit of a risk um, to buy something new, but... It sounds like you've had really good feedback so far, and I think that this is very exciting. I wonder if there's anything else that you didn't get to talk about that you want to mention.
2: Well, we're super excited about it, too, and we're excited that uh, about all the positive feedback that we've received from people. And, you know, when you go to a farm and you see what people are able to do with this tractor, it just makes you happy. We had someone at our grand opening speak, and he said, we, we can't even imagine what's going to be done with this tractor, some of the possibilities, some of the things that people will come up with. And I think that's really the most exciting part is people will do things with this that we would never expect, and people will be able to solve problems with this that we would never expect. So we're excited about that. But something else I'd like to mention is, a couple events that are coming up this spring um, to provide some opportunities for people to meet us or see our tractor. So this weekend, we'll be at the Indiana Small Farms Conference in Danville. In March, we'll be at the Tennessee State New Farmer Academy Conference, and that's in Nashville, and we'll be at the Agribility Workshop in March as well, so Agribility is a group that modifies equipment and works with different manufacturers on equipment to be used for uh, farmers with disabilities. and So they're very excited to work with our equipment and adapt it to people with any sort of physical disability that would have a very specific alteration that they would need. And then the other big event is our Midwest Tour. So we decided to load up the tractor, and drive it all the way up to Minnesota. So we'll be taking a trip from northeast Alabama to the Minneapolis area. We've got stops planned out all along the way to do field demos at local farms and with organizations. So if anyone is along that route and would be interested in us coming out to your farm, we would love to. Or if you're interested in seeing one, then check on our website or Facebook for Information about where we'll be.
1: Well, I sure appreciate your bringing your energy and enthusiasm to this project, and bringing it into the the real world from from a very really be- beautiful inception out out all the way along the pathway that it takes to work in the world. And thank you all for your interest in this. I want to mention that we are selling almanacs. And they're very beautiful, and you should probably buy one or get one for your friend who's a farmer or buy one and read it and share it. And what else? That's it. Thank you so much, Lockie, for all you're doing.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me, and hopefully I'll get to meet you and many others listening along the journey.
1: See you on the trail. All right. Take care. Bye, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter.